and of course that's going to impact their uh, delivery. Um, so yes, I think there can be an impact. I don't want to necessarily say how much or what have you, but there's no doubt in the interconnected world that we're in that uh, India being such a large contributor to uh, the economy of the world um, that at some point it's going to have to have a wave effect. Mm. Um, the key for this is really just how long and how deep uh, this second wave goes in India. At the moment, it appears it's going to be very sh- very sharp, but mm. possibly quite short. Um, that's the issue we're going to be watching. And another international impact, which I think it must affect you personally, um, Australia has uh, has implemented a travel ban stopping its own citizens uh, who live or travel in India from returning uh, to Australia. How do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I think it, it, someone said to me the other day, and it sounded a bit glib, that um, the old adage was it used to be it used to have to be a criminal to get into Australia, and, and now of course it's just a crime uh, uh, to try and get into the country. Look, I think it, it clearly has been a, a, a difficult time for the Australian government to to uh, repatriate uh, Indian uh, citizens, Australian Indian citizens, should I say, um, and they put this uh, effectively this suspension in, but it was taken very poorly because under the Biosecurity Act, it, it meant that uh, in, if you did get in and uh, without permission, you would be fined and potentially mm. jailed. Uh, it sounds it sounds quite um, ludicrous in, in reality that a citizen you know, cannot leave, flee a war zone uh, effectively to return to their country. But having said that, uh, I think the government have you know really now uh, stepped up to say that they're going to bring in more repatriation flights for the middle of the month uh, mm. to bring those vulnerable Australians home. And so I think, in in a sense, it was probably a political um, overreach, if you will, in terms of the criminality of, of of Australian citizens trying to get home. But um, the practical realities was that there was concerns about being able to actually provide, um, you know, the right level mm. of quarantine for so many who want to return. Toby, thanks very much for the update, and of course, we all hope the situation over there improves very soon. That's Toby Lawson, the CEO of Society General India. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. In Australia, the SX200 up 0.2% at the moment. The Nikkei 225 in Japan is flat. Looks like uh, a slight rise for the Hang Seng at the Open in about an hour's time. Thank you very much for listening this week. Do have a great weekend and join me again on Monday morning at uh, 8 o'clock. Back chats coming up next with Hugh Chiverton and Danny Gittings. The weather forecast for today, fine, hot during the day with a maximum temperature of around 31 degrees and in the outlook, mainly fine and hot over the weekend and early next week. It's 26 degrees right now, 79% relative humidity. It's coming up to 8.33. Here's Barry O'Rourke with the Half Hour News. A public housing block in Chai Wan was locked down overnight after one of its residents tested preliminary positive for a mutant variant of COVID-19. At nine o'clock last night, health officials descended on Fung Hing House in Hingwa Estate to test people living there. Residents are expected to be sent for quarantine if the mutant case is confirmed. A number of residents of a luxury apartment block in Pok Fu Lam are defying a quarantine order. They say the arrangement is flawed and that it would be better to home quarantine them in their building, the Royalton. Jonathan Cummings, the regional head of a global brand consulting group, is one of those refusing to move. It's unnecessary. You know, this building is standalone. You know, it, it's, it's not connected, so we're, we're isolated within the building. You know, there's many of the residents here are elderly, have special needs. Many have children, etc., etc. So there is no logic, there's no need for families, elderly people with special needs to be transferred to live effectively in a porter cabin for three weeks um, when they'd be arguably, and I'm not a scientist, but less safe than they are staying here.
The Australian government says the resumption of flights from India to Australia will be conditional on medical advice. The government signed off on a plan to resume flights from May the 15th. All arrivals are to be quarantined near Darwin. About 9,000 Australians are stranded in India due to Canberra's travel ban. The Trade Minister, Dan Tehan, says the most vulnerable will be prioritised. The aim is, is if the, the medical advice is clear and, and we can uh, resume flights from 15 May, then, then obviously we'll be doing what we can, especially to get those most vulnerable uh, passengers repatriated back to Australia. India now accounts for more than half of all COVID cases across the world. It's now recorded more than 400,000 new infections in a day, pushing the number of confirmed cases to more than 21 million. But health experts believe both figures are being underreported and could be far higher. Pro-independence leaders are warning of trouble in West Papua as Indonesia sends another 400 troops there to crack down on separatist rebels. Radio Australia's Anne Barker reports. Indonesia has sent hundreds of troops into Papua province to crack down on separatist rebel groups blamed for shooting dead the provincial intelligence head last month. Reports on the ground say thousands of Papuans have fled their villages in fear. One exiled leader, Benny Wender, has warned that a huge Indonesian military operation, the biggest in years, is about to begin. He says the troop build-up, escalating clashes and internet blackout are what happened during a similar crackdown in Papua in 20. 2018, when tens of thousands were displaced and dozens killed. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Backchat. I'm Hugh Chiverton, your co-host today, Danny Gittings. Danny, good morning to you. Good morning. Today we're talking about COVID-19 and in particular quarantine measures uh, in Hong Kong. Several residential buildings across the city, including Quarry Bay, Pok Fulam and Tung Chung, have been evacuated after cases involving a mutated coronavirus variants were discovered in the blocks. Hundreds of residents have been sent to a quarantine camp, including students who were in the middle of their exams. Dozens of residents in one Pok Fulam, uh, Pok Fulam block are fighting the order, though, according to at least one resident who argues they should be allowed to quarantine at home. And it's expected that the government will, this afternoon, uh, announce measures to shorten the quarantine period for fully vaccinated people. Is that safe, given especially uh, uncertainty over the new variant? Is it an effective incentive to get vaccinated? Uh, What about conditions at Penny's Bay? Could people quarantine realistically at home? What are the arrangements like for students facing exams? So many questions. We'll see if we can get some answers as well as we talk to our guests this morning and uh, we want to hear from you. Uh, you can email bankchat at rthk.hk. You can call us on 233 88266 uh, or best of all, uh, yeah, is, is the phone number actually. Give us a give us a call and we can, you can talk directly to our experts and put your questions uh, to them. Uh, and our Facebook page is Backchat on RTHK Radio 3 as well. You can share your thoughts, your questions and comments there. Later we're going to be talking to uh, uh, Head of the Department of Microbiology at the University of uh, Hong Kong, Dr. Kelvin Toad. We're joined now by, uh, from the School of Public Health, uh, uh, Professor Benjamin Cowling, Head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics, and Samantha Gershon, in, who's a uh, family lawyer and a partner in the Hong Kong family team at uh, Withers. Once again, our email is backchat at rthk.hk. OK, some uh, 
uh, emails, quick few on uh, other topics that we've been discussing and that are in the news as well. Uh, Anthony says, in relation to our discussion yesterday, there should be more fish coverage on Backchat and Radio 3. Also, I'd like to pay tribute to All the Way with Uncle Ray, an absolute legend. See you on the other side, Kadero. And uh, B says, can you please invite Uncle Ray Kadero for 30 minutes on your show? He's a legend. Sad to know he's leaving. What a year it's been for RTHK, losing all its best talents. Thank you. That comes, as I say, from uh, B. Well, uh, Uncle Ray will be doing his programme uh, uh, between uh, 10 and, uh, and uh, midnight, or 10 and 1, on uh, f- for four days uh, next week, sorry, for five days next week, including a phone in, I think on the on the Friday. So that's your best chance, uh, best opportunity. Doesn't really do mornings. Uh, Kevin says, why didn't the government publicise in the Home Affairs website there are various locations for the walk-in to have their virus testing, including the one in Saikung, especially considering the deadline they imposed on the domestic helpers with a $5,000 fine or to extend the deadline? Uh, And uh, Mike says, on the quarantine, question mark, what? Another government knee-jerk reaction. Please take note. It was reported that hundreds of people went to quarantine lockdown but didn't mention how many went to hospital with this new, scary, more infectious variant. Do we have the numbers? Many of my medical peers are more frightened of being quarantined than COVID itself. What might that tell you? Tim says, Sophia Chan is rapidly snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Instead of announcing marginal reductions in period quarantine for those who are fully vaccinated against COVID-19, she should be removing the requirements altogether. The administration either trusts the vaccination programme or it doesn't. Instead of the continued mixed messaging, rewarding those who do the right thing with a $5,000 shopping voucher initiative and let those who remain recalcitrant enjoy their three weeks in Penny's Bay. That is uh, from Tim. And uh, one more from uh, Derek, who says, I don't understand why people who have been fully vaccinated and test negative cannot quarantine at home. They could wear an electronic wrist tracker with wristband to ensure that they stay at home. I have heard from a friend who's now in quarantine in Penny's Bay. There's a maximum of two people per room, so he's separated from his wife and daughter. Rooms are spartan with a TV, but no Wi-Fi. Food is bad. Surrounding trees have been cut down so that CCTV cameras can spot people trying to escape. That is from Derek. Um, Professor Cowling uh, joins us in the studio. Good morning. Welcome Good morning. back to Back Chat. Thank you for joining us here. Um, this, uh, this whole issue of uh, vaccinated people being sent to uh, quarantine, uh, we, we're expecting an announcement from the government today on this, but it seems like there'll be fairly marginal reductions in, um, in how long you have to be quarantined if you're vaccinated. It'll be reduced, the period will be reduced by seven days. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, the, uh, vac- uh, on quarantine for vaccinated people? We'll have to wait to see the exact policy, but I think it, it, it does make sense to reduce quarantine for vaccinated people because they do have a lower risk of infection. So we've heard some experts saying that the, the incubation period may be the same if you get infected and you're vaccinated. That's true. But the risk of getting infected in the first place is much lower. So you can kind of balance out the risk. You can say, OK, if you're not vaccinated, you have a 14 day quarantine. If you're vaccinated because you've got that lower risk, you could get out after seven days because that's then an equivalent level of risk for the community uh, corresponding to those two different situations. So I think it'd be very reasonable. 
But you're still talking about, uh, if, if the reports are correct, you're still talking about uh, a 14-day quarantine for vaccinated people if, it, if it's a case involved, which a lot of them are now, a case involving the mutant strain. Yeah, I, I've never really understood why the quarantine period should be longer for the mutant strain. There's been some, some experts have said that maybe the incubation period is longer for the mutant strain. I don't think there's any evidence of that. Some people have said that maybe we've got to be extra prudent because, you know, maybe we don't even want a tiny chance of, of the virus getting into the community. But as we know, quarantine is only one of the measures that we use to control COVID. And I think that extra seven days really has a minimal additional benefit. So 14 we, days is good, but 21 days... I, I, I thought there was a case where the woman had been through three weeks and was still... and still. Yeah, we, we've had a couple of cases on, on the fourth the week, offer. actually, on the fourth week of, of after arrival. And those are suspicious because those are almost impossible if those people were infected before they landed in Hong Kong, what's much more likely, in my opinion, in those cases is that they got infected after they landed somehow, either in quarantine or in the community after they left quarantine. And so it, that's a never-ending battle. If you start seeing cases in the fourth week, then you have a 28-day quarantine and but, then you start seeing cases... But if they're diagnosed with the new variant after three weeks, I think that was that, that's what happened, wasn't it? There was a case where, the, where a woman Correct. Was, uh, Correct. Was, was diagnosed with a new variant. Wouldn't you... Why not consider the possibility that it's a characteristic of the new variant, that it would it would stay even better hidden for longer? Either just because there's, there's no other indication from, from the scientific literature that cases with the new variants have longer incubation periods. Um, I mean, of, of course, anything's possible, but I think it's pretty unlikely. Th that's not the way the new variant works. If anything, it would expect a shorter incubation period because the viral loads come up more quickly, they reach a higher level, and then people shed virus for longer. But, but you're right, I mean, it, I, and I understand that that's one of the rationales given, that we don't know, so we better be cautious. But I feel like that extra seven days, going from 14 to 21, have really has a minimal, a minimal additional benefit to the community. And what about the other kind of burning quarantine issue about the people who, who say we don't need to go to Penny's Bay? We could, we, if you're going to take a whole building, you could just lock down the building, and you know yeah. that would be a better solution. So it's really important to distinguish isolation mm -hmm. from quarantine. So when we have people that we know are infected, we'll isolate them in hospital to stop them from passing on infection. But we know in some cases they've already spread infection to their close contacts to people around them and we need to put those people in quarantine and the rule is if someone's likely to have been exposed then they should go to quarantine and that's in in the past year that's been close contacts who are likely to have been exposed that doesn't mean likely to have been infected it means likely to have been exposed because we know sometimes there's an exposure and the the case wasn't that contagious so they, they didn't pass on infection so what we've seen in the past year is among the close contacts that go to quarantine camp about five percent eventually a positive for the virus that means out of every 20 people going to quarantine camp one of them is positive the other 19 are negative and that's a balance of risks and benefits that you say okay we have to quarantine some people that may have been infected turns out they weren't but we better be safe but right now what's happened in the past couple of weeks is that entire buildings have been sent to quarantine because of this new variant that's a, a high risk to hong kong but those people haven't been likely to have been exposed i would say they're very unlikely to have been exposed. And so then the risk-benefit equation changes. And now we've had the, the policy where thousands of people are sent to quarantine to limit the possibility of one infected person from getting into the community. And I think that's, in terms of the, the risk-benefit to the individual and to the community, I feel like one in a thousand or less than one in a thousand is, is a little bit too, too low to justify quarantine, particularly for 21 days. If it's home quarantine, maybe, but quarantine in Penny's Bay for 21 days 
with less than a one in thousand chance of actually being infected. I mean, that's, that's Sounds very... Sounds like you're sympathetic to these holdouts I'm in Pockfuller. Very sympathetic, because they don't meet the criteria for, for quarantine, according to the policy which is likely to have been exposed. OK. Uh, also with us, as I say, in our central studio, Samantha Gershon, a family lawyer. Good morning to you. Morning. Uh, many thanks for joining us. Uh, you wrote a piece uh, for uh, Withers, uh, to quarantine or not to quarantine? That is the question. What's the answer then? Uh, well, I t totally agree with what uh, Professor Cowling has just said. Um, and I actually have personal experience, which probably gave me the passion to write that article. Uh, my own daughter was uh, one of the patients that was caught up in the optimal health um, family group and um, she had to uh, quarantine for the remainder of a 21-day period. Um, so that likely to be exposed um, a definition. Um, she was even in the surgery on dates where the nurse who was infected hadn't even uh, met up with the person from Dubai yet. So she really wasn't likely to have been exposed yet. So, um, you know, from a proportionality point of view, um, for the mental stress and everything it's doing to the families, uh, as a family lawyer, I mean, forget my personal experience and what it did to our family, my daughter, you know, I really feel very, quite strongly uh, what it's doing to the families, um, to children, and what everyone's going through at the moment and the fear of being quarantined at the moment as opposed to getting COVID itself. You're talking at least partly like a lawyer because you mentioned proportionality, which, of course, is how the uh, courts judge whether or not government actions are lawful. And so far in all the quarantine cases we've had, the courts have given a very wide discretion to the government. So this it seems to me this is not really perhaps a legal matter, is it? No, well, the powers are very wide. Yes, and the courts will give uh, the, the government very, very wide discretion in terms of using them in a public health emergency. So Correct. you're just saying as a, as a practical matter that uh, you just don't think it's right. It's a practical matter because of what's happening to families, um, because of the stress that's being caused, to the wider implications of what's happening to everybody if they're going into quarantine, the fear of going into quarantine and the implications of what's happening once that happens. Um, people not being paid, losing their jobs and perhaps not telling people who their close contacts are because of then the fear of what happens afterwards. And that's, I don't think that's healthy either. Yeah, I mean, I've heard anecdotally uh, from people who, who don't want to, uh, for example, give their, uh, you know, sign in to, to, to venues or use a false name because they don't want to run the risk of uh, being uh, quarantined yeah. and their families and, and, and so on. Uh, yeah, and, and the, in that recent case, there's a suggestion that uh, they were they weren't the people were not uh, coming forward to tell the the whole story mm -hmm. because they're the fear, the fear of quarantine. So yeah. that's actually, but I guess the the administration would say, well, you know, uh, this is a this is the best way, looking at the big picture, to to pressure people to uh, get vaccinated. Uh, that if we can increase the proportion of people, proportion of the population who are vaccinated, then we won't have to. We, we can relax overall, relax the quarantine measures. Do you understand that point of view? There is, of course, that point of view, but then even so, we're, we're still saying we don't know what the announcement's going to be today, but if it is still going to be reduced only to, from, say, 21 days down to 14, that's still a long time to go to Penny's Bay. If you've got small children who are then in, inside a room for 14 days, you know, without being able to run around, 
without having that fresh air being inside a room you know we've we've touched on you've you've mentioned you know children having exams you know that's still a long time to still going into quarantine even if you've been vaccinated so you know 21 days down to 14 that's that's still a great reduction but it's still not enough, perhaps. I mean, nobody denies that it's, 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 it's a big burden on the people involved, but you talked about people losing their jobs in quarantine. I mean, how about people who've lost their jobs because of outbreaks in... Uh, I mean, if you're perhaps working in the bar industry and you've been essentially unemployed since November and um, there's credible evidence that previous outbreaks have, um, have been at least partly because we haven't been rig- rigorous enough about mm-hmm. quarantine, they'd say, well... You, you shouldn't take a chance. The, 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 the livelihoods are huge enough, far more than the people who are just going into quarantine. No, totally accept. It's, it's a complete balancing exercise. But then you do have to reach a stage where you've got to see, are the measures you're taking, are they enough? Or are they going perhaps a bit too much over the top? Are we doing enough in Hong Kong? I mean, we've done a great job in Hong Kong to contain the numbers compared to other countries. I mean, it really is admirable. But are we going a bit too far? I mean, that's obviously a question for the scientists. Uh, uh, ben Cowling, you want to say something on, on the balancing act there? Yeah, sure. So w- when we think about transmission of COVID in the community, right now we've got a very low level of cases, so so there's not so much risk, but at any time suddenly that the numbers could come back up again because we know there are cases in the community. In the past, in the second wave, the third wave, the fourth wave, we've had reproductive numbers, meaning the, the average number of secondary cases from each, in, from each infected person above two, two point something. With face masks and with the close contact quarantine, we can get that down to one point something, maybe from the mid twos, 2.5, down to 1.5, 1.6, 1.7. But we still need other social distancing measures as well to get it down below one and to bring the epidemic under control. That happened in the second wave, in the third wave, the fourth wave. The, the masks and quarantines were not enough. Now, if we were to relax quarantine a little bit, and for example, say vaccinated people don't need to go into quarantine, uh, maybe children don't need to go to Penny's Bay, that's going to reduce the effectiveness of quarantine as a policy. So maybe instead of getting from 2.5 down to 1.6, we're down from 2.5 to 1.7, 1.8. Then we need a little bit more social distancing instead to make up the difference. And one of the fears would be that we'd have to do a lot more social distancing to make up for a little bit less quarantine. But actually, in my opinion, because, for example, for vaccinated people and also for children, because their role in transmission is so much lower... Actually, that's a marginal difference for the quarantine policy, and we're still going to need some kind of social distancing anyway. So I, I feel like having the encouragement and the incentive for vaccinated people not to need to go to quarantine, and also for children as well, because they don't play much role in transmission, home quarantine instead, I think it would make a lot of sense, and that would really stimulate vaccine uptake. Okay, some comments on our Facebook page. This is from Kim, uh, who says, In my opinion, this is the one chance the Hong Kong government has to boost vaccination rates. They need to announce a significant relaxation of quarantine rules for those who are fully vaccinated and for children under 16. Definitely no government quarantine. The vaccine should also be made mandatory for those in various professions, especially caregivers, be they hospital staff, domestic helpers, teachers, especially those who are teaching children under 16, uh, airline staff, etc. If the announcement today isn't significant, the government will literally kill the vaccination programme. Perhaps they should also announce a deadline. If those who still decide not to be vaccinated, despite significant benefits for being vaccinated or because of political reasons, uh, they're one way of defying the government, then maybe we should donate our supply to a country or countries who are desperate for the vaccine, starting with India. Hong Kong people should realise and appreciate how lucky we are and should not be complacent. Our success with controlling COVID-19 and or any political issues should not be a reason or excuse for not doing 
doing the right thing to protect ourselves and our loved ones, especially those who cannot have the vaccine, our children under the age of 16 and those who are medically vulnerable. The Hong Kong-Singapore bubble is also ludicrous. Those of us who have been fully vaccinated get no benefits, but the government is prepared to permit entry of people who are not vaccinated. Duh! Another bizarre message to be sending to the people of Hong Kong. The Hong Kong government and the people of Hong Kong need to do their part. We need to put aside all differences and do the right thing. Hong Kong is our home. And uh, Howard uh, just says pretty soon everyone in Hong Kong will be locked up for one reason or another. That comes uh, from, from uh, Howard. Uh, Samantha Gershon, I mean, this idea of, of making the vaccination mandatory for various uh, professions. So we mentioned there medical staff, you know, has been suggested. Domestic helpers, controversy over that. Government seems to be giving way on that. Uh, teachers uh, and so on, bar staff. H- how do you look at that from a legal point of view? I think it's very difficult to make it mandatory. Uh, you've obviously got people who may not be able to have the vaccine um, for medical reasons anyway, so that's the, the first point. Um, obviously, you've got in other countries where it's not mandatory, you can't force people to have it, perhaps from a, a human rights point of view, where you know people have the right to choose whether to have a vaccine or not. Um, again, you've got then the other side of things where if you are looking after the health of people and you want to make sure from, um, so, so you've got the, I think the, in the aged age homes in England, I think there are a lot of people who have chosen not to take the vaccine and that's caused a lot of controversy. But to say to force people to have the vaccine, and that, that's a very difficult decision to make. I'm not sure quite legally how you do it. I mean, the one, one thing for domestic helpers where, or, or people arriving in Hong Kong where they say that um, they, won't, they won't give you a new contract unless you're vaccinated, but how do you actually legally force people who are in, in existing jobs? I suppose you, you have to start deregistering. You can't actually physically force them to have the jab in the arm. You have to start deregistering them if they refuse to take the vaccines, right? Yeah. That's the only way I can see you do it. Yeah, uh, that, that would be a terrible move to, I think. And I don't think you legally have the powers, no. do you? I mean, but this is happening with bar staff already, isn't it? Well, no, 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 bar staff are not being forced to get vaccinated, but they, yeah. they can set restrictions on bars reopening. You can do it that way, right? You're saying, well, if the bar, if the bar, if the bar staff are not vaccinated, the bar then can't reopen. Yeah. So you can get at it from a different way. It's yeah. a bit like with renewal of domestic helpers contracts, but you can't actually sort of actually have a mandate to saying that the bar staff themselves must be vaccinated. Hmm. Okay, some more more comments. Uh, Housing Estate Brett says, uh, every time... I haven't heard from a Housing Estate Brett for a while. uh, Every time there is one of these ambush lockdowns of buildings, I wonder about where I work. Uh, We have what is essentially a public toilet, frequented by a lot of public transport workers, uh, developed prior to sewerage going in. The toilet empties into a septic tank. Every time it rains heavily, such as the other evening, the tank overflows from the floor drains. If some virus ended up in that tank, I wonder just how long it might remain viable. And with the supposed higher risk due to the transport workers if the tank is being checked, like presumably the sewers are elsewhere. Uh, uh, CW says, what happens to pets? Uh, we talked about that yesterday, Colin. Uh, uh, Nick says, uh, good morning. Could the reluctance from the government to relax quarantine for those who are vaccinated be because they dare not distinguish between those who chose BioNTech with over 90% protection and Sinovac with 50% protection? 
uh, that comes uh, from uh, yeah, Nick. Let's pick up on that, Ben. I mean, that is a good point, isn't it? Because, I mean, you can't, pr in practical terms, really relax vaccination requirements for one group of vaccine recipients and not the other. But for Sinovac, it's only 50% effective. So you're taking much more of a risk if you relax requirements for them. So on the, morning, on the radio this morning, earlier this morning, I heard another expert suggesting that maybe uh, antibody tests could be done for people that go to Penny's Bay. So in other words, when the person's in Penny's Bay, if they've been fully vaccinated, they could have a, a choice to do an antibody test. And if they've got antibodies, then that would be considered like maybe safer okay. and they could be discharged from Penny's Bay and go back home, maybe still home quarantine or, or maybe just let, let, back, let go back to normal. Now, the antibody test would be much more likely to be positive in people who've received BioNTech vaccine, okay. maybe less likely to be positive in people who've received Sinovac vaccine because the, the Sinovac vaccine is, is a little bit less effective, as you mentioned. But whether they're actually set up in a in quarantine centre for sort of mass antibody tests... Yeah, I, like I don't that. know whether that's feasible right now, but, but I understand the rationale for, for doing that, and that would allow a little bit of distinction between people that are protected from their vaccination and people that are maybe less protected with a less effective vaccine for... So you take everyone off to Penny's Bay or wherever they're going, and then you'd start testing them once they're there. That, that was what the job. expert proposed that I heard earlier this morning on the radio. I don't know if that's what would be implemented. Uh, maybe there's another way to do it. Maybe it could be done before, before going to Penny's Bay. I know in the recent buildings, they've done an overnight test exercise, and then it's the next day that they take them off to quarantine. So maybe as part of the mass testing, they could not only do the nose swab, they could also do an antibody test, a quick antibody test. How quickly can the antibody test be done? Oh, very quickly. And there's actually some point of care, some, some really rapid, like, like a 15-minute test for antibodies. I don't know that if they're considered good enough, but uh, could well be. So those might be, might be suitable rather than sending the sample off to the lab to wait for the next day. Okay, an email from Alango, who says, as Dr Cowling said, we should look at the risk-benefit ratio and alter the current draconian strategy. Fully vaccinated and children should be exempted or one-week quarantine at home. The government follows the impractical zero-risk strategy when it comes to containing the virus outbreak, but the same government fall back into risk-benefit ratio strategy when it comes to dealing with side effects of vaccinations. Please be practical and follow scientific approach. Anyway, the mental health, kids and humane values are not considered in the pandemic strategy. At least the government should look at the business disruptions created by quarantining the entire building for 21 days. Hong Kong's place in Asia as international city is narrowing. That comes from Elango. We continue the discussion after the news at nine. We, we're going to break now. Please uh, keep the questions and comments coming. The weather is going to be fine. Hot today. Temperatures up to about 31 degrees in the urban areas. 26 degrees, the latest readings with the relative humidity now of 74%. It's repatriated back to Australia. India now accounts for more than half of all COVID cases across the world. It's now recorded more than 400,000 new infections in a day, pushing the number of confirmed cases to more than 21 million. But health experts believe both figures are being underreported and could be far higher. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. Back chat on a Friday morning with Danny Gittings and uh, me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about aspects of COVID-19, particularly uh, quarantine uh, controversies. Uh, we are joined by uh, Samantha Gershon, who's a family lawyer, partner in the Hong Kong family team at uh, Withers, and Professor Benjamin Cowling, head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics at the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. And we're also joined now by Dr. Kelvin To. Uh, Dr. To is a head of the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. 
Uh, we want to hear from you, your questions and your comments. Uh, best bet, if you want to talk to the experts directly, is to uh, call us on 233-88266 and you can talk to them. Uh, or you can email backchat at rthk.hk with your questions and comments. Or go to our Facebook page, that's Backchat and RTHK Radio 3. Uh, a, lot of, uh, a lot of emails. Uh, just a quick one from B, uh, who says, uh, with the subject line, The fear. I've been living in fear of the following happening. My 96-year-old grandfather being quarantined, if his building ever hits the list. My elderly cats being sent into AFCD and never making it out. My teen being locked up for 21 days with zero exercise in a box. Why does quarantine have to be worse than prison? If you ask people what their biggest fear is, it's not about catching COVID or any other variant. It's about being thrown into the gulag. I've just had my second shot of the vaccine, ticked off all the side effects and more. But tell me, how am I different from an unvaxxed person? I would still get thrown into quarantine. I'm glad I'll be leaving in June. I'm sick of living in fear. That's from B. Ben Cowling, this is your second appearance on Backchat this week. You were on the, on the programme on Monday, and when I interviewed you then, you, you were very a lot worried indeed about um, possible spread of the uh, mutant virus in Hong Kong and maybe silent change of transmission, and said, really, this week would be, um, would be, would be crucial. Now, we're almost at the end of the week. Um, what's, um, we seem to know a bit more about the uh, chain of... Tra- or perhaps know a bit more about the chain of transmission. What's your assessment of where we are now? Is, are we in a less dangerous place than we were at the start of the week or still a pretty serious position? It, it's good news for us that the cases that have cropped up in the last week have now been linked together because before they were unlinked cases and we didn't know what we were missing now we've been able to piece together that part of the puzzle to say that those are linked together we know there's not a lot of other cases between them but there may be other pieces of the puzzle that we're still missing maybe there's been transmission somewhere else to another group of people hasn't yet been picked up so i think we we still need to be concerned still need to be prepared that there might be more cases coming um with COVID, you never know. It, it transmits in fits and spurts. So sometimes there's a handful of cases in the community and it just disappears. Other times you can all of a sudden have this super spreading event. If you remember back to December, the big cluster, uh, the ballroom dancing cluster, I think November, where the gym cluster in the Ursus gym. Before that, many other clusters that just all of a sudden burst up and, and have a lot of cases in a short space of time. So I hope that won't happen. But uh, I, I'm worried that maybe there's been some more transmission that we're not yet aware of because these particular cases haven't been um, maybe totally 100% transparent about their close contacts and, and then who may have been exposed. So yes, yeah, so let's yeah. pick up on that. Of course, we don't know all the details, but it's certainly clear that the Centre for Health Protection didn't know everywhere that um, uh, this engineer had been to and that only became um, clear mm. during the course of the week. And from a public health, health perspective, what do we do about the... Um, and inevitably, this ha- has, ha- has happened before. It happened during the dancing cluster and it probably will happen again in future, even if um, you have legal penalties for those involved from a public health perspective what do we do about when cases are not not transparent about their context it's really not ideal because we know that for close contacts for people that are truly exposed to infection quarantining those people makes a big difference it means that although they're disrupted by having to go to quarantine we won't need so much of the social distancing in the community so i i think it's really important that the authorities um kind of show the importance of uh, participating in the contact tracing and then the, the contacts, the close contacts that are truly close contacts should go to quarantine. Um, I, I understand the arguments now from the buildings where they haven't really been exposed to infection. That's a different case. But when there's close contacts involved, whether it's family members or friends, I think it, for the good of Hong Kong, it's appropriate to send those people to quarantine and, and, and that helps the control of the, the pandemic. 
Okay, uh, here's a comment from uh, Facebook, and perhaps uh, Dr. Toe, if you could uh, you could uh, help this. It's a, it's a technical question. Perhaps you could clarify things uh, for our uh, listener, Paul, uh, who says, uh, since there are no examples of mutations increasing the coherent information within a genome, surely the presence of mutated coronavirus variants are a sign that the spread of coronavirus 19 is coming to an end. So why are we also still being forced to wear masks? Why all these lockdowns? Why do we still have social separation measures in place? And most importantly, why are we still being coerced into taking experimental shots of gene therapy which are being wrongly packaged as vaccines? That's from uh, Paul. Uh, Dr. So, good morning. Good morning. Can you clarify things for Paul? Yes, certainly. Um, First, uh, the variants, uh, the different variants from England, South Africa, Brazil, and now India. Uh, at least the first three has been shown to have increased mass transmission between people when compared to the original virus. So definitely there's scientific basis on this issue. Um, for example, we have uh, there are papers showing that the Californian variants have uh, higher virus amount of virus when they in the in the nose when compared to the original virus. So they transmit much more easily. Than others, so it's scientifically there's robust evidence saying that is you know it's more dangerous than the original virus, and this is perfectly fine to have more uh, stringent policies for these variant viruses. As for vaccines, uh, many many people think those mRNA vaccine can change your genome. So far, there's no evidence at all this will happen. Um, Actually, it's very, very safe. Um, the mRNA will not integrate into your genome. Uh, I mean, there are many, many theories saying that how it can integrate, but there is no scientific basis at all how this would happen. So, it's, I mean, scientifically, uh, what that, that uh, 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 viewer says is not scientifically based. Sure. That's all I can say. On the so so, but on the variant, you're saying that the the extended uh, quarantine arrangements for three weeks they're justified because that well, that's different to what you were saying, Professor Cowling. Is that right? Hmm. Yeah, is that what you're saying, um, Doctor Stone? I'm not saying it's well. I, I'm just saying it's more transmissible. Um, having 21 days of quarantine, what the the, the the rationale of 21 days for any kind of quarantine is that we know that there are certain percentage of people who can really shed virus beyond 14 days. So that is why it's uh, 21 days. And if we have, are going to have a more dangerous virus, and if we want to be much more uh, certain about our quarantine measures, then 21 days makes sense. Because you want to catch all, try to catch all. But of course, the 21 days would cause a lot of problems, um, psychological or, you know, economic uh, financial problems for people. So it's like a balance. I always say um, all these measures is a balance. There's no, you know, there's no definite ways, uh, there's no, no definite policies that is right or wrong. It's always a balance of how, how much risk you're prepared to take. If we are going to have a shorter 14-day period, we expect that we may miss some people. You know, this is what we have to know about the risk. Yeah. Well, let's go back to Ben, ben Cowling, because at least your emphasis is at least slightly different there, isn't it? You... Yeah, I, I think we have to distinguish when people start to shed the virus and we can pick them up as cases from how long they shed virus for. So, so true, if someone starts shedding virus seven, eight, ten days after infection, then they can go on shedding for some time. But by that time, they've already been identified. The question with quarantine is whether after 14 days there's anybody who's testing negative 
at that point at their exit test, which, which could be day 12, and then subsequently turn positive. And actually, there's another point for quarantine. Even if there are cases that turn positive later, day 19, day 21, day 28, whenever, if those people are not really contagious, then letting them out of quarantine is not such a risk to Hong Kong. And what we've seen so far, I, my understanding of the literature, is that people who start shedding virus earlier, people who have shorter incubation periods, may be the ones that tend to be more contagious, more virus. Those who have longer incubation periods, and there may be occasionally one in a hundred, one in a thousand that's longer than 14 days, longer than 21 days, those people may not pose so much of a risk. So even if they're missed, it's not so critical. And there's always coming back to this risk and benefit calculation. The quarantine has a big effect, but it's not the only measure. And so saying that we want to catch everybody in quarantine misses the point that we're only catching 25% of cases with the testing anyway. There's a, a lot of cases that we never know about in the past year. Uh, our own estimates, and I would guess Dr. Toh has a similar study, saying that we think there's been about 50,000 infections in Hong Kong. 11,000 cases. So that's, that's a proportion of infections but then that when are they never had, when, they, when they had mass testing in Hong Kong, I know only a percentage of the population did the mass testing, but yeah. we found very few cases out in the but community. But you can translate from that. So that the mass testing, there were 40 positives. Eight of them were these repeat positives that are kind of almost false positives in a sense that they're, they're not new infections. There were 32 new positives, of which some were symptomatic. But there were, I think, 13 of those were people that we didn't know about if they hadn't done the mass testing. And when you scale it up to the population, it comes out about similar. It's about 40,000, 50,000 people in the past year have had COVID. Well, we've and we uh, only picked up 10,000. 10, 10, so, right. so quarantine is never going to be the only measure that we need. We're always going to need other measures anyway. Dr. So? Yeah, I agree with uh, Ben. Um, it, 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 I mean, we, we, a lot of public thinks the quarantine is to stop everything. And this is just not the case. Um, quarantine can never do 100% of the job. Um, there will be missed cases. There will be someone out there that we don't know about. And this is exactly why we need the vaccine to reduce the number out there, silent carrier. And secondly, even if they are infected, those vaccinated would have much less, well, they're much less likely to transmit to others. And together with other non-pharmaceutical measures like you know, uh, social distancing, limiting people in restaurants and things like that. I think it, it, it's, it's like a, you, you need a coordinated effort to make it work. Um, having, we, we, we cannot just say uh, having one single quarantine measure and make it the most important and force everybody, you know, stay for a long, long time. We can't do that forever, I think. We just can't live like that. So it's very important for the public to understand that we need a coordinated effort so that we can maximise our chance of stopping the pandemic. Yeah, uh, Samantha Gershon, do you, do, you, do you understand that? No individual measure on its own is a, is a solution, but we, we, you know, we, need a, we need a range. Also, there's an email from Vic uh, who says, uh, Dear Backchat, eagerly awaiting to see the government's reaction in relation to the Pok Fu Lam resistance. Uh, that's the people who said they won't move uh, or they should be you know, quarantined at home. While the government came down hard on grassroots and middle-class locales, let's see how they react to the breaking of law by the rich and famous. I'm going to get the gallery seat and enjoy the popcorn. <laughs> Headless Chicken Administration finally found their match, question mark. That comes from Vic. Any thoughts? Yes. Um, it will be interesting to, to see the reaction. Um, I, I don't know what will happen, Uh it will also be interesting with the announcement that will come in, obviously, about the inoculations. What will they do? Um, 
Will they make some people go in? Will they keep some people? Will they let people, some stay at home? Um, it really don't know because obviously it will then set a precedent for uh, future building. So, you know, they will need to make a decision. And, um, you know, it all does come down to this likely to be exposed um, and, you know, what they've been doing with the de definitions of close contact. Um, and then, of course, the people that are in quarantine at the moment for 21 days, you know, they're going to get very upset because, you know, they, they didn't stay in their buildings and refused to leave and they're now in quarantine. So what about them? Because they're going to want to say, let, you know, let us out. Um, so they're going to be very, very upset. Um, and then if they do make the announcement this afternoon about cutting down, you know, 21 days to 14 if you've been inoculated, are they then going to let out the people who are in quarantine at the moment um, if they've been inoculated? Are they going to let them out early, even though they've got quarantine orders that are meant to be keeping them in for 21 days? Um, and then you've got the added thing. If um, parents have been inoculated, but not children, and they're all in quarantine together, will they let them out as a family early? So that's something I don't know if the government have, mm. have been thought, thought about. Are they going to make an announcement about that? So, the, you know, there's lots of things for the government to think about. I actually wouldn't want to be in their shoes today while they, while they make those decisions. Okay. Uh, uh, one from uh, Dan, an email who says, there have been several instances of false positive COVID tests. If the government requires us to undergo testing, do we have the right to insist on a second test before submitting to quarantine? Inquiring minds want to know. That comes from Dan. Dr. Toe, would that make uh, sense? I mean, the, uh, there are certainly cases of false positive, but... I think uh, most of the positives are not false positives. So for the first uh, preliminary test, it's still reasonable to have those people to go to hospital first and then get retested and see if it's really positive. Uh, it would be very dangerous if we let someone having positive tests to wait in the community for a second test. I think that would be very, very dangerous for the society. Uh, ben Cowling, an aspect of quarantine we haven't really touched on the, 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 this morning is quarantine of tra travellers arriving in Hong Kong. And as far as we understand, the announcement on fully vaccinated um, uh, people in terms of reduction of quarantine will be quarantine inside Hong Kong, not necessarily for, for travellers arriving. And what's your view on um, a, a quarantine for arriving travellers? Yeah, th that's right. So we have the quarantines in Hong Kong for two different reasons. The close contact quarantines is to try and stop chains of transmission. It's a targeted measure as opposed to the social distancing, the work at home that's, that's non-targeted, that's non-specific. A separate issue is the travel quarantine where people coming in, if there's some infected people coming into the city, we want to minimise the chance that that infection gets into the community because any introduction has the potential to then spread and, and cause a lot of downstream consequences. So, so that's a different issue. But again, a vaccinated person is much less likely to have been infected in their source location. And right now in Hong Kong, we don't really have any... Uh, differential period of quarantine, differential policy, depending on the risk. So someone coming in from India has a 21-day quarantine, someone from the UK, someone even, they I think, from... They just started, haven't they, with Singapore, Australia, New Zealand? Uh, they're 14 up. days, and Singapore, we have this travel bubble where it's gone down to zero. But actually, right now, today, we could let in hundreds of people from New Zealand with no risk, because there's no cases in New Zealand. So it's not going to pose a also risk to us. Also, there are other places Kong. like Taiwan. And, and uh, Taiwan. And, and so the mainland is, is quarantine-free entry right now. And again, that poses a minimal risk to Hong Kong. Ultimately, in, in the coming months, the coming year, 
we're going to have to accept that the virus is going to come into the, the community sooner or later. It's going to come in either through through the people that are in quarantine. It's going to come in as well through loopholes. We can't ultimately stop it. We can slow it down. Um, so I'm actually, uh, I would advocate for re reducing or even stopping the quarantine of people coming into the city that have been vaccinated, um, particularly with the BioNTech vaccine, because that's a highly effective vaccine against even mild well, infection. We, we don't see places like Australia making this. I mean, they quarantine everybody coming in. And, um... well, see, I, so Taiwan and South Korea have both said that they're not going to quarantine people that come in that have been vaccinated. So that's a start. And I think we'll see other places start to go in that direction. Of course, once a, a place, maybe it's Australia, maybe somewhere else, once a place has a higher vaccine coverage internally, it doesn't matter so much if the virus comes in uh, because it wouldn't be able to spread. It wouldn't pose a threat anymore. And ultimately, places won't have travel restrictions anymore. But some places will go back to normal sooner rather than later. Uh, even Israel still has travel restrictions in place. And you okay. will still have the problem for families that the, uh, the children can't be vaccinated. That's uh, right. That's right. So hopefully 12 to 16s will be able to get vaccinated soon. Yeah, maybe then, let's pick up on that on air. You mentioned sorry, sorry. Air. There's a lot of emails. Coming. Yeah, I know there's a lot of questions. Um, uh, Bernadette says, need to know if testing is mandatory after I had my second jab of Pfizer on the 14th of April. Uh, yeah, it doesn't make any difference to the testing uh, regime. Um, uh, Jay says, find one case where the person already had antibodies and a low viral load. Lock down the building and test a 1,000 people and find zero cases, many of whom are already vaccinated. Then send all residents to false imprisonment for three weeks when they already tested negative and were vaccinated. Telling people who are on a beach on X date to get tested and report it where? The government are acting like headless chickens with so-called experts basically wanting to lock down Hong Kong until the year 2035, to be sure. Uh, uh, Mike says mainstream media love to cite the success of Israel's vaccination program where with 50% of the community vaccinated and COVID, uh, COVID infection goes down. Let's discuss Chile where government mandated vaccination reached over 40% of the community and COVID infections increased. Oops, that doesn't fit the narrative. Let's not talk about it. Uh, Dr. Toe, do you know anything about what happened in Chile? Yeah, um, I, what I understand is that Chile is... Oh, the second or third most highly vaccinated population. And uh, despite that, they have increasing number of cases uh, in recent months. I think um, at the moment, there's no good data on exactly why Israel is doing so well, but Chile is doing so badly. Um, there must be a, a, a more detailed analysis of the situation would be much better to understand exactly why Chile, despite a very high vaccination rate, the incidence is still going up. Um, this, is, this would be very important for the world to understand how vaccine can fail. I mean, when I say fail, it means, I mean, is, is it because they didn't have social distancing measures together? They relaxed too quickly? I, I don't know the details about their policies. But I think um, studying the case in Israel and, or compare the case in Israel and Chile would be very, very important for mm. us to learn. Okay, uh, some more comments. Uh, Guy uh, raises a question of, of uh, close contacts. Uh, Guy says, uh, if, repeat, if units or apartments share a common staircase or lift in the building, then close contact between occupants is possible, even probable. If there is no such sharing, then close contact is unlikely. That's uh, discuss. Sorry, that's, that comes from uh, from uh, Guy. Uh, Rick says, takes decades to build housing for a desperate population, but only weeks to build concentration camps. Let's be clear, this is what's happening. That comes uh, from uh, Rick. 
Uh, and uh, MT says, since SRAS, has there been any upgrade or change to building regulations to prevent the possible and probable transfer of the virus through building drainage? I expect the answer to be no. Poor, poor governance. That comes from uh, MT. Uh, Jason says, uh, surely only COVID uh, health risk that matters is hospitalisation and death, compounded when health services are overwhelmed. All the literature confirms that vaccination, no matter which vaccine, prevents both. That being the case, all efforts should be made to ensure greater take-up of the vaccines among the population. Rewarding people who do the right thing by removing the quarantine requirement is just common sense. That comes uh, from Jason. Martin says, uh, comment on risk-benefit ratio. It's pretty simple. Your guests try to prioritise their individual concerns over the concerns of the public good. They are less concerned about the possibility of spreading the virus in the community, infecting others and ruining what Hong Kong has achieved so far in containing the spread of the virus. How do they explain their stance to people who got infected and the thousands of others whose lives have been put on hold indefinitely because the infection rates are still not low enough to start travel bubbles and open the border with the mainland? Currently, vaccination rates in Hong Kong are extremely low. In part of the initial scaremongering by the press and RTHK about possible side effects and trashing of the Sinovac vaccine, which Professor Cowling has done quite frequently on the show, instead of really explaining what efficacy numbers really mean and how they are derived, and that even a low efficacy number means that Sinovac gives a very high protection against serious complication of COVID and death. Even Professor Cowling now has to switch to I feel to justify his statements on risk-benefit ratio for the whole of Hong Kong, which she is certainly no expert. I think that comes give, from Martin Pascali. Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, we are. We, we talked about Israel and, and uh, Chile before, and so the major difference. Both places have about sixty percent vaccine coverage. The major difference is the types of vaccine used. And so it's true that the vaccines are very effective. Sinovac and BioNTech are very effective against severe disease. So people that get vaccinated will have a much lower risk of severe disease. Where the difference occurs is because Sinovac is less effective against mild infections, and that means less effective in limiting transmission. So what we've seen in Chile is not surprising at all, that even with 60% coverage, there's still a lot of transmission. People who haven't been vaccinated are therefore vulnerable to getting infected and still getting severe disease. And we've even seen some severe disease in people who have been vaccinated where the vaccine hasn't worked as well. In Israel, on the other hand, because the vaccine coverage is so high with a vaccine that's highly effective against infection, it's not possible for COVID to spread. So even the people that haven't been vaccinated are indirectly protected by herd immunity. Well, let's clarify this because it may not immediately be clear to listeners. The difference between Israel and mm. Chile is that in Chile, they have been receiving uh, mainland-made vaccines. Predominantly Ch Chile is predominantly and inactivated vaccines. Uh, Israel is predominantly the BioNTech vaccine. And then in the news just the last few days has been the Seychelles, which again has 60-something percent coverage, uh, primarily with... Uh, an inactivated vaccine. Inactivated vaccine, you mean uh, Sinopharm or Sinopharm. Yes. And also the AstraZeneca vaccine. So the level of population immunity is, is somewhat lower. Um, I, I could respond to the other, the other comments as well, but I, I think that, that could take quite some time to explain uh, that quarantine is, is just one of the many measures that we use to limit transmission. So, so we can't count on quarantine to stop, thing, to stop COVID from spreading. Dr. Toad, do you want to respond to that? Uh, I mean... In, in terms of which part of the uh, <laughs> question? <laughs> well, uh, has uh, Benjamin Canning seems to have solved your problem by saying that it's the difference in the vaccines which is causing the difference in the Israel and, and Chile um, I, I, I mean, that, that may be, that, that can definitely be one of the reasons, but... It seems I think, logical, yeah, I mean... But I think in addition, we need to know much more about what happened in Chile and what happened in Israel. Um, 
vaccine definitely is one of the factors. But for example, whether how they relax social distancing, uh, what do people do in Israel and treat it differently? I, I I don't know. I mean, there may be cultural differences in terms of how they how they how they mix together or things like that, how they eat, how they drink. You know, all all these play a part. So. Uh, 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 vaccine definitely play a part, but we need to understand more. To, uh, I mean, the, the the main thing for us in Hong Kong is what can we learn from Israel and Chile, uh, 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 and so that we can actually implement our vaccine or social distancing policy in a much more efficient way. Hmm. All right, uh, David uh, says, I must say I'm always interested to listen when Ben Cowling is on. As, uh, he always speaks with good, sound, solid, sensible info, which is understandable to most. I recall he once spoke about herd immunity in Hong Kong. I'm of the opinion Hong Kong will never reach herd immunity, uh, especially when around half of the vaccinated community have received the Sinovac vaccination, which is said to have only 51% efficiency. Could this be commented? That comes from David. Yeah, it- so the target isn't necessarily herd immunity and some parts of the world will not be aiming for herd immunity. I would say Chile is not aiming for herd immunity right now. What they're aiming for is a high vaccine coverage of the most vulnerable people so that even if COVID does spread, it doesn't pose a major threat anymore. So they reach 60% coverage. I would imagine they're going for 70, 80%, including all the most vulnerable people. And then even when COVID is spreading in the community, they're not going to see the kinds of numbers of hospitalizations and deaths that they would otherwise have seen. And then with the spread of infections, mild infections, that's going to ultimately bring the level of immunity up. And so sometime later, they will have herd immunity after having uh, a lot of vaccines and then a lot of mild infections. For Hong Kong, I think we could have aimed for herd immunity if we targeted a really high uptake of particularly the BioNTech vaccine. Right now, because we haven't got such a high coverage, I think the priority has got to be vaccinating the most vulnerable. And I'm disappointed that the coverage in elderly homes is still a little bit low. I I wish that would be improved, because if we are going to have a fifth wave at some point, hopefully not yet, but at some point, then I I think, again, the elderly homes will be the most vulnerable. Okay, well, we've got a lot of comments uh, still to air on this. Uh, But for the moment, thank you very much indeed for for joining us. I'll just uh, read read these out so you can get an idea of at least some of the uh, themes and issues that are on people's minds. Uh, Yeah, S says, in Chile, do we know what type was given to uh, residents? Surely that would uh, uh, affect the uh, vaccination success. Uh, uh, Zagar and uh, Charles says, Zagar and Evans, in the year 2525, if man is still alive. I'm not going to sing that, but we get the point, Charles. Thank you. Doug says, we are constantly being told about persons who are medically unsuitable for COVID vaccinations. Is there any scientific data on the proportion of such persons in the general population? Are many of these claiming unsuitability psychosomatic? Oh, that's a good question, actually. Kelvin Toe, sorry, yeah, let me just throw that one at you last minute. You know, do we, how many people, what proportion, do we have any idea, can't get vaccinated? The percentage right now, an accurate percentage, yeah. but I believe the number is very low. Um, there, are lots, there are many, many people with chronic illness, but many are actually under control. Would that be like 10%, 5%? Any I, idea? I, I would imagine less than 10%. Less than 10%. Okay, thank you very much indeed for that. Uh, okay, and uh, Frank says, well done, well said, Vic, the contributor. Just imagine how, say, an old single man living in a housing state took sent to a quarantine camp, not fully understanding what's going on would feel if he knew that this uh, Cummings Guilo dude refuses to move because his business, his handicapped, etc., living at the Royal Pockfoo Lamb. It reminds me of the Dancing Hall Mama Sands uh, uh, counselling then having anything to do with the dancing gypsies and getting away with the law hmm social conscience that's from frank 
Uh, and a comment from uh, Leslie Ann, who says, Dear Bankchand, if the government wants to boost the vaccination rate of Hong Kong people, they need to allow the fully vaccinated and children to be exempt from quarantine and only give the $5,000 from the government to people who are fully vaccinated. Otherwise, uh, why bother? Uh, Charles, oh, sorry, that's uh, something else. And uh, June says, I wonder why the government has not implemented more sensible measures like families getting together in bubbles. One of the problems in the past few days is the discovery of people... Uh, got tested positive on a perceived dangerous variant into the communities through large gatherings and parties and did not bother to disclose them to the health department. My building, for instance, has a low density, but one family continues to have parties every week with over 30 people each time. So many residents have raised concern, and yet the building management can't do anything about it because it's a loophole in the law. Look at Singapore and the UK. They have rules on how many families can gather and limit the number of people at home. This ambush-style quarantine is scaring a lot of people. That comes uh, from June. Thank you very much indeed for uh, for uh, all the uh, emails and uh, comments um, uh, this morning. One quick one from Charles related to our discussion yesterday, who talks about artisanal fishing in the Philippines, who says, uh, this point was raised yesterday, well said, but in the 80s there was a form of fishing that involved explosives and the outcome was coral was totally decimated. I've seen it. Uh, this kind of fishing has also been used in Hong Kong as well. That's from Charles. Thank you very much indeed to our guest this morning, to uh, Dr. Kelvin To, who's head of the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. Thank you very much indeed. Thank you to uh, Samantha Gershon, a family lawyer and uh, a partner in the Hong Kong family team at Withers, and to Professor Benjamin Cowling, head of the Division of Epidemiology and Biostatistics in the School of Public Health at the University of Hong Kong. Danny, thank you very much indeed. And thanks to producer Yuki. The weather forecast, fine, hot, with a maximum temperature today of about 31 degrees. Light winds and the outlook mainly fine and hot over the weekend. A few showers in the middle of next week. 27 degrees at the moment with a relative humidity of 74%. I will help fight the virus. I will protect Hong Kong. The government has launched the Leave Home Safe mobile app for everyone to keep visit records. Remember to use the app to scan QR codes of designated venues. Visit records will only be kept in your phone. If you went somewhere visited by a confirmed patient around the same time, the app will automatically alert you and give health advice. Use the app together. Feel at ease when going out. Let's fight the virus. Scan with Leave Home Safe. 934, the news now with Barry O'Rourke. The vice president of the Hong Kong College of Psychiatrists, May Lam, says the lack of supervision in school and elsewhere during the pandemic has seen a rise in childhood bullying. She was commenting on the arrest this week of two secondary school students over the repeated slapping and kicking of their 14-year-old schoolmate. Police said the girls, aged 13 and 14, attacked the Form 3 student in March after accusing her of bad-mouthing them. The incident was captured on video and went viral on social media. A public housing block in Chai Wan was, was locked down overnight after one of its residents tested preliminary positive for a mutant variant of COVID-19. At nine o'clock last night, health officials descended on Fung Hing House in Hingwa Estate to test people living there. Residents are expected to be sent for quarantine if the mutant case is confirmed. And pro-independence leaders are warning of trouble in West Papua as Indonesia sends another 400 troops there to crack down on separatist rebels.